0: I want to um, take you on a journey today. And it's a journey that I think really speaks to um, the spirit of this month, which is Black History Month. But it's uh, also a, a, a powerful and helpful insight into something that I've never taught on before. I've never taught a sermon on racism, ever. And I've never, I, I don't, I mean, I've taught about don't be partial, and, but, but this is targeted, this week and next week, targeted at that topic. And it's really a, an interesting um, thing when I step back for a moment and said, what does the Bible say about what I just saw? And it became really apparent to me that God designed us. It's one of my favorite terms. You know, what is God's design, his design? What was his intentional? What was the original plan for my life? And am I living up to that design? Do my choices align with his design? And so this topic came to my mind. I want you to repeat it with me, please. Say, designed to be different. Designed to be different. On purpose. On purpose. You are designed to be different. Now, just, if you just think about that for a moment, that means... You're taller and they are shorter, but that's God's design. He designed short people to be short and tall people to be tall. And he designed white people to be white and black people to be black and Asian people to be Asian. Africans to be Africans. Americans to be Americans, Brazilians to be Brazilians. He designed you to be what you are, who you are. And to be that with pride. To not apologize. To not be in any way frustrated at all. I was on the Amazon River a few weeks, months ago, and I was there uh, preaching in Brazil, and the Amazon River is pretty cloudy to me in my brain. When I see it, I see, you know, it's like, and the girl that was with us, she said, uh, I swim in this river a lot as a kid, and there were kids out there swimming, and the part that gets me is their piranha in there, but they said, if you're not bleeding, you're okay. I thought, <laughs> that's still a problem for me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, it's a problem. And uh, but her pride, and she took us into the, the jungle area there. By the it was a restaurant we ate at, and there's a jungle area by there. I should have brought pictures and shown you. I do, I have them, but I'll show you another time maybe. And when I when I but, but her pride, her pride from a different place and proud. Is where we played as kids. She she don't tell us. This is my home. There's something about allowing people to be different. That's why your marriage is struggling, because you want to embrace differences. You want her to be like you and you to be like, it, 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 like like everybody. It's ridiculous. You can't be. No one can be. I had to face that in my life. Diane told me something profound. She says, I am different, and I embrace our differences more than you do. I said, that's a thought. It was so profound a moment, I just said, okay, let me think about that. Maybe, as, maybe it's true. I believe God made us different for a reason. So my big question today is, why didn't God make us all the same? Here's the answer to that. God likes diversity and discourages what I call self-worship. Say that term with me, please. Come on. Self-worship. You will find that is one of my main definitions for racism. It is the elevation of yourself to the place that you feel everyone should be like you. You think everyone should look like you, talk like you. That's why you mock people who are shorter or you mock people whose heads are different size than yours because your head is the perfect size. That's why you mock a person who's a little bit overweight because you're the perfect size. Your feet are perfect. That's why you mock someone's feet. Their toes are kind of bundled up and you think that's hilarious. And so you mock their feet. You mock their ears because they're bigger than yours because you've got the perfect size ears. You're perfect. The idea that you can take that position is profound. The Bible says something interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12. In your notes, this is what it says. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body so also is Christ, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we be what, Jew or Greek, slave or free, black or white, tall or small, doesn't matter. We've all been made to drink of, into one spirit, for in the fact, the body is not one member, but how? Many, many. It's so when you can embrace that. But it's hard for people. It's really hard for people to really understand that you are biased. But let's pretend for a second that Ricky Temple was in charge. And if everyone in the world was forced to be like me, number one, here's what would happen. There'd be no chocolate cake. I'd ban it from the planet because I'm in charge. Number two, there would be no candy other than Snickers and Milk Dots. Everything else is going. Number three, there would only be vanilla, butter pecan, and strawberry ice cream. There would be no pistachio in the world. Because I'm in charge. You understand? Mm -hmm. There would only be black cars, red cars, blue cars, and SUVs. I may let a few trucks in. But that's Ricky's world. How unfair is that? How narrow-minded is that? What right do I have to impose upon you the idea that you couldn't drive a gray car? How many of you have a gray car? No. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> a gray car. <laughs> you think You think it's ridiculous, and you're right. It's wrong. It's not reasonable. It's not fair. Racism is a form of self-worship that defines itself as superior to those who are different. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 4 calls it this. Here's what the paraphrase statement says: For all for men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. You love yourself so much that you impose upon everybody you meet. You. You. Because you're the standard in middle school, and high school, but in particular in middle school, that's what you're facing. They're, they have the nerve to mock you because you're different, but you were designed by God to be different. You're not supposed to be like everybody in your family. You want some black sheep and some white sheep and some green sheep and whatever color you are. You need a little spice. You need a little difference of an opinion. But this is, this is the problem in our culture. It's this idea that you, you somehow are superior. That's what made the war in Germany so horrific. The idea that there was one way, one superior race. It's, it's, it's the wrong thought. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. But say it loud, I'm white and I'm proud. Say it loud, I'm Asian and I'm proud. Say it loud. I'm what I am and proud. A proud woman, a proud man, a proud young person, a proud older person, proud of being who you are, proud of being a southerner, proud of being from the west, proud of being from the north, proud of being wherever you are. I met a girl, a lady the other day. She was from Panama. She was, I was in a hotel, and she was cleaning up our room. And, and I said, where are you from? And she said, from Panama. With smiles wide as the ocean, she says, "I'm going home in a little bit for a week. I get to go for a week. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait." She's making up the bed. She says, "I just can't wait." She's slapping the bed cover. "I can't wait. I just can't wait." And I thought to myself, "Yeah, yeah." She doesn't want to be an American. She's from. Panama, She's Panamanian. She's proud of that. But Americans think we're the only ones. everybody? Everybody wants to be here. Everybody. Everybody. Of course, a lot of people want to come here, but don't don't get fooled. There's a guy I met down in um in Atlanta. He's uh, he works at a hotel that I visit quite quite a bit. Traveling, and I came in. He says, "Hey, you're back." And I said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "It's been a while." I said, "Yeah." I said, I said, you're the you're the PhD guy, right?" He said, "Yeah, I'm a PhD." professor he says he came he came to our country to teach in our schools and he he had to quit he said I, I couldn't take him he said the kids for me it's hard he said it's very very difficult for me because he said um, as a college professor I, I I know how hard it is to get here and when I went to our schools here your school your schools here he said the kids were amazing you have to pay to go to school where I'm from In high school, in middle school, it's all you pay. It's not free. Your parents have to have money to go. And only the elect get to go. And when you go, it's a big deal. Because in you, all the hope of the family rests. And you don't go there and talk back. And you don't go there and act out. He says, I could not emotionally process it anymore. So I make money other ways. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how we sometimes, don't understand what we become and how we appear to people and how our view of the world is so narrow, but the world looks at us and says, we don't want to be like you. There's some things about you we don't want. We don't want to be like your children are in school. We don't really want that for our country. We don't want to have some of the same issues, shooting each other, the mass shootings. You know, know it only happens in our country like that. There's a lot of killing around the world, but the kinds of mass shootings that we have are unique to America in many ways. Our gun issues are unique. There are other countries with problems, but ours are unique. And sometimes if you're not careful, you so worship yourself and so have such a strong image of yourself, you don't see our flaws. And to me, that's what can happen in families, in businesses. And that brings me to a story in John chapter 4. John 4 describes a woman. And how Jesus crossed this barrier that was the same kind of barrier I'm describing. It was a fight between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Talk about ethnic racial tension. It was strong. And Jesus shows us in this encounter how to get past that. And there's seven observations I want to make about his exchange with this woman. And in these seven observations, I want you to learn some lessons. So I call them seven lessons. And in these lessons, watch how Jesus engages her. The disciples have gone off to buy food, and he's left alone at a well. And it's called the Samaritan woman story. And her story is amazing. And listen listen to the first thing we learn as he speaks to her. We learned that there was ethnic and gender issues. Watch him confront these in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? That's a question. What are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. Why, what, what is this about? We, we, have, we don't really do this normally. People like you don't talk to people like me, especially being a guy. And then he goes on and says, for, she says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We don't deal with each other. If you, if you didn't know that, asking me for water. That'd make you get your own water, right? <laughs> Look at number two. Jesus reaches beyond the culture and the gender there's a lesson in here in how he reaches beyond it. Watch what he does. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? I want you to notice that he reached beyond what culture said you should do. And then he found, thirdly, a common ground. And Watch the common ground. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water. Watch that now. Springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, give me this what? Water. Giving me this what? Water. Water is the common link. He steps past culture. He steps past gender. He steps past in ethnicity. And he says, let's talk about something we can all agree on. Water. Let's find a common place. You want to ever overcome racism, that's where you start. You find something in common. We all need something. And that, that's what we lose sight of. Everybody needs something. He finds a common place that he can engage her. I've learned that in in, in marriage or in business or in anything you're doing, if you have an issue with a person, find something in common. Let's find something we're not mad about. Let's find something that we agree upon. Our politicians can learn from that, right? Let's find something that we like, something that we all can march together on. And not just bite and fight and name-call each other. Let's find a way to Deal with real issues. And so he says, Your issue is water, my issue is water, let's start with the water. Let's let that be the common place we begin. But then he turns and he says, Let me show you something, though. I want to show you a lesson about every culture having flaws. He steps past the ethnicity, he steps past the culture, he steps past the gender. He finds a common place for them to talk. Then he says, go get your husband. Go call your husband. Tell him to come here. The woman answered and said, well, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you, verse 17, you you, well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that is a moment. You ever had anybody just jack you up? Just tear you off. Just, 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 just put your stuff in the street. Just shame you. But what's really the message here is not about shame as much as it is to say, I want you to understand we have a lot in common, not just water. I can. Jesus is saying, I can handle your flaws. There's a moment here that really is powerful because later on she likes Jesus and goes and gets everybody and says, come see a man who told me everything about myself. He knew everything. This, this is an example of something that should remove all racism because here's what you learn. Everybody has some problem. All races, all genders, everybody has an issue. And that's what Jesus points out. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And so there's a, there's a moment here, and I love this because what he's doing is he's embracing her imperfection. Church people aren't good at that. We have a problem sometimes with flawed people. We I don't know what it is. We just want to be holy and so perfect, and that's why your family doesn't like you because you miss holy when you walk in the door. You know everything about Jesus, God, the Bible. You're just so saved, you've almost burned. Walk around with your little wings in the halo. And you're uncomfortable around people that are like the Samaritan woman. This woman's had five weddings. You know how you talk about people like that? She, she get married again? She said, boy, you better run. This number. number four. Let's count them up. Say one. No, come on. Let's count them. Say one, one two, two, three, three four, four five. five. Five weddings, and then she's with somebody else's husband now. She's got six men in her life. Woman, what is wrong with you? This is the one you talk about. You know what I'm telling the truth, right? This, <laughs> this is the one you talk about. You guys, she has an issue. First of all, why is Jesus talking to her of all people? This is bad for your reputation, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> she already got somebody else's husband. But, but here's what was interesting. It didn't bother him. I, I don't know why we we just struggle so much with imperfect people. There's a friend named Ted Roberts, he's a pastor. And Ted um uh, pastors this uh, amazing church, and he's had uh, years of ministry. And he told the story. He used to be a fighter pilot. He told the story of how he, his wife was, you know, was praying women, you know, prayer meeting women. And so she asked him to go with her to the prayer meeting. And so he goes to the Bible study or whatever it was with the women. And there's a bunch of women there. He's the only guy. And he's a you know, fighter pilot guy. And so the women kind of felt bad. Like, well, you know, gosh, you know, guys here and women, well, let's let him close in prayer. Well, he never prayed in public. He never prayed out loud. And so he said, sure, I'll, I'll pray. So he bowed his head He said, Lord, do whatever the hell you want to do. It's fine with me. <laughs> that's what he prayed. That's what he prayed. Excuse me, I didn't cuss. I just told you what Ted said. Don't get nervous. <laughs> that's not Ted prayed. He prayed that prayer. He's a pastor now, but that's what he prayed. And all the ladies got, got nervous. The eyes got stressed. Everybody said, oh, well, that was a prayer. <laughs> that was my- now, what do you think God said? God says, good, that's a start. We're making great breaking ground here, boy. Got a few extra words in there we don't need, but that's a good start. Lord, that's good. The rest of it we work on, but that's a good part right there. It's amazing how saved you are now. You forgot how much you used to cuss and how bad you were and how much I mean, dope you have smoked. You forgot about that? It's written down. God knows you did it, and so don't act like you don't know. You still know where the drug house is right now. You can take me to it. And if you forgot, your cousin can tell you how to get there. It's amazing how we've lost our way and lost our perspective. We don't deal with Samaritan women. We're too good for her. We're too holy, too saved. Too frustrated, too impressed with ourselves. You have to be careful that when you come to Jesus, you don't start worshiping your image, worshiping your gift, worshiping yourself, and looking in the mirror and your church and who we are. I want to be real careful that overcoming by faith doesn't worship itself. We are overcoming by faith are, and we are, and we don't ever need to forget who He is. Come on, say, man, you hear me? Who He is. I believe in pride. I believe in being proud of who you are, and we should be proud of who we are, and we should live up to our name. We should overcome by our faith. We should be strong, and I'm not ashamed of that. But here's what I'm saying. There's something profound that happens when you encounter a Samaritan woman. What kind of plan is this for God to have? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna send Jesus to a Samaritan woman? Why would you do that? Now, how about a priest? Priests know everything. Don't need to go to them. They got it all figured out. You got your Bible and your verses and your songs and your dances and all your phrases. Hallelujah, praise the Lord for everything. That's why people get tired of you because they say, you know what? Can you deal with my five husbands? Can you deal with my confusion? Can you deal with what I don't understand? I've been studying suicide lately, and one of the things that I've learned about it is that people tend to get to that place where they feel they can't see anymore. They start counting up their husbands and start counting up how many mistakes they've made. It's bad when you walk around the mall and count up your mistakes. Shame to go anywhere in public because you knew this one and, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, my goodness. Yes, I, and you're just you're just ashamed and you don't know what to do with all that. She was carrying a bucket of water, but she was also carrying a bucket of shame. She was carrying a load of guilt. and Jesus looked at her and said, Where's your husband? He didn't want to embarrass her. He wanted to free her. I want you to meet somebody that can know your issues and love you. I want you to meet somebody that can know you're struggling in an area and still love you. Some of you parents need to back up a little bit. You forgot where you came from. Beating on your children and yelling at them like you never made a mistake. But you won't give your real testimony. You're crying because they're pregnant. But if you ever... Go back in history and tell the truth. Lord Jesus, the only reason you were not was because of grace. Oh, you can look at me like you're really confused, but you know exactly what I'm saying. It's grace and a certain time of season that stopped you from being the one. And if you understand what I'm saying in a coded way, on another day, it could have been you. One more day, it could have been you. Oh, one day earlier, one day later, five more minutes, it could have been you going halfway beat your child because of a bad grade, but let's pull out your, your resume. Let's pull out your school scores. Let's put all your grades on the table, but that's why I'm like this. Really? I'm not saying you should not challenge your kids to do better, but don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how lost you would be, and some of you, if it were known today, you still might go to jail. That's why you're not saying anything. You're going <laughs> to lift your hands up and Praise God, because you know who did what, where, when. You got some names in your mind the police still looking for. (laughs) I know I'm telling the truth when y'all start doing this. (laughs) Tell the truth, shame the devil, tell the truth. It's married a woman. Five husbands, living with somebody else's. She's all jacked up, carrying water. All jacked up, going to the well, looking good, but she's messed up. Looking fine, but she's messed up. All together, some of you are like that. All together, your hair's right, your nails are right, but your heart's wrong. You're ashamed of yourself. What's really sad is sometimes the prettier you are, the more messed up you are. Trying to dress it up and cover it up. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul said, don't let it all be the outward adorning. Braiding your hair, fixing yourself up, fix the inside up. Let God change your life. That's what he's going after. And what's amazing is he's pressing past the fact that she's a Samaritan. God took me and put me in a predominantly white environment for a reason. In college. He wanted me to be free from something. Fear. He he wanted me to learn something. God wanted me to understand what it's like to love everybody to reach beyond my own cultural comfort and understand that everybody's flawed and everybody has issues. So Jesus engages this woman, points out her flaw, but still loves her. And then they get into this dispute that I didn't give you the verses for, it's verse, verse 19 and 20. The woman looks at Jesus and says, oh, so you're a prophet, huh? You can look at it up later, verse 19 and 20. You're a prophet, oh, you're okay, you, you're, you're a preacher. Well, we disagree with you. She says, well, since you're going to talk about me, let's just get down to it. I'm not from your church. That's the bottom line of what she says. We worship on my garrison. We worship up here. You worship in Jerusalem. She changes the whole subject. She gets away from the subject she can't win and jumps on something she believes she can win. And so there begins to be this discussion, and Jesus does two things that impress me. One is he sets us straight theologically. He looks at her, and in verse 21, he says, please, let's be clear about something. Let me correct your theology, and then let me tell you about an advantage that I have. He says this in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. One day, it won't matter where you worship. You can be in a Baptist church, Catholic church, man, it doesn't matter. You can be at Overcome by Faith, the First Baptist is Calvary, whatever, mountains whatever church you want to go to, it won't matter one day. He wants you to understand you're worried about the wrong thing. You're fighting the wrong fight. Here's the deal. You worship what you do not know. Let me let me get you straight. You don't know what you're doing. Every, every view of God is not right or God's confused. Something Jesus is going to say at the end of this message that people would say isn't, it, 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 it was amazing. He, he did not call himself a prophet only. Call himself the Messiah. You'll see it in a minute. Here's a moment where Jesus says, let me set the record straight. You don't know what you're doing. Here's the deal. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews. Here's the message. We've got a message for you that we know is right and is from God. Now, in that moment, he's talking about an advantage. There are people who know things. Quick story. I love the Old Testament story of Jonah for this reason. Because it tells a story about a guy who was serving the living God. And he didn't want to go preach to a group of people called the Ninevites. Because he didn't like them. So he gets on a boat when God challenges him to go preach to them. And he runs away and gets on the boat. You know the story. He gets on the boat and the boat starts to toss and turn. And all the people on the boat start praying to their gods. And so nothing's working. And so they think they're going to die. And they see Jonah. He's sleeping at the bottom of the boat. So they go wake him up. And they say, hey, guy, get up. Call upon your God, do something. And Jonah wakes up and says, oh, I know what's wrong. He says, this is God. He says, you guys are serving, you know, your own gods. But I serve the really true God. And so he's trying to kill me. And so they said, well, why did you do that? And so now you got to understand, this is why the boat's flying and they're they're being tossed to and fro. They're having this discussion with waves. They're all wet. Everybody's soaked. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's hollering. It's horrible. And why would you do that, man? And so finally he says, well, you know, I just, the only way you're going to save yourself is you throw me into the river, into the ocean there, and that's how you save yourself. Now, I'm thinking, you're a man of God. You know you're wrong. Go jump in. (laughs) Be a man about it, right? I'm wrong. Go jump in. Not Jonah. So Jonah won't dump in. They won't throw him in because here's what you learn: Even though they are not God-fearing men, didn't serve the God he served, they were still God-conscious men. Sometimes you misjudge people. And so what happened was they tried to row to shore, couldn't get to shore, and finally gave up and said, well, it's amazing you got to read the book. They pray this prayer, Lord, we know... (laughs) We don't want to kill this guy, but we're going to have to throw him overboard. <laughs> We've been serving the wrong God, obviously. And so they pick him up, and they throw him overboard, and then all the waters stop. And, of course, Jonah goes into the whale, well, and the whole story of Jonah and the whale well starts. And it's an amazing story. But here's the message. The message is you look at these people, and you see Jonah had advantage. He knew something that they didn't know. Historically, Europeans had an advantage. They had had, uh, advantage when it came to technology, not always in history. Egyptians had it for a while. Throughout the world's history, different parts of the world had advantage. By the time you got to slavery, they had the advantage. When they went to Africa, they had advantage. They had ships and guns and technology. The question is, what do you do with that advantage? History is pretty pretty clear. You got to be careful when you know something. You got to be careful how you use it. Jesus looks at this woman, and he has advantage. And his goal is to lift her, not hurt her. His goal is to inform her, not mock her. His goal is not to abuse her, take advantage of her, flirt with her. He has advantage. But I love it. He He learned how to manage that advantage. I was sitting with a friend in in, uh, Ghana, West Africa, one day, and we were talking. And he said something pretty profound about our country. He said, you know, I'll tell you my opinion of America. He said, throughout history, when you had absolute power, and he says America is the most powerful country militarily in the world today. And throughout history, countries that had superior military power have abused it. They've abused their advantage. He says, we, in my opinion, Mensa Odeville said this. He said, he said, in my opinion, America's been the best steward of ultimate power in the history of the world. We're not like the Romans trying to conquer everything. The Romans, if they had our technology and their mindset, they would have tried to take over the entire world. Alexander, the Great, is an example. The Germans, I mean, just go throughout history. The Japanese, throughout history, many people who had absolute power, who had strong power, they exerted that power and right now in some parts of Africa the same thing is happening Boko Haram if they had the power and the means there there's an amazing thing that happens when you've been giving advantage how do you use your advantage your parent over a child how do you use your advantage when you're a boss over staff how do you use your advantage The great wrong in our country was those who had advantage abused it. And now you must not become that way. You must learn from that season of life and you must never go back to that season. Everyone can be different than you. And it's really okay. So there was an amazing moment that Jesus looked at this woman in the middle of this conversation. And he said, let me give you two final thoughts. Number one, let me show you what's really important. After all of this conversation, let me give you a lesson in transparency. Let me give you God's bottom line. His verse 23. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. Verse 24, for God is a spirit and those who worship him will, must worship him, not in a particular place or a mountain or in a particular church. They must not necessarily shout or dance or be Pentecostal or Baptist. They don't have to necessarily fall down or stand up. They just need to be truthful. Worship me in spirit and in truth. I'm looking for transparent people. That's what Jesus tells this woman. All the things that have happened in your life, all the sins in your life, God's not impressed and interested in whether you're a Samaritan who is flawed or not. He just wants you to be honest with him. He wants you to become a genuine worshiper. Imagine how she felt. All of that guilt fell off. In that moment, I get it. It's not this mountain. It's not that mountain. It's not this church or that church. It's about being a true worshiper. I'm not dismissing the value of a church. I'm not dismissing the value of anything. But let's just be clear about something. If my whole goal in life is to get you to come here, and that's my whole goal in life, and that's success to me, I'm a failure as a preacher. If my goal is to fill up every seat or get everybody online, to, you know, in numbers or the whole big deal, okay, well, temple, get over it. There's a 1,000 probably here this weekend, another 4,000 to come watching online. Yay, big deal. What if it's 10,000? What if it's 2,000 here? Some events we have 2,000, 2,500, 3,000. Okay, big deal. At what point is it not about numbers and about people? At what point do you get to the place that you understand you're not trying to make us make a whole bunch of miniature overcoming by faiths? I believe in expanding churches. I'm big on pioneering churches. I want to pioneer leaders. I do, but I'm not trying to make mini-me's all over the place. I am, not, I am not trying to have any kind of I've got to say this in the right spirit because I don't there's nothing wrong with that. As long as I understand, my biggest responsibility in your life is to get you to be a true worshiper. Period. That's the bottom line of it all. Parents, you get that, don't you? What do you want for your kids? When you look at them, you want to see truth and transparency, freedom, not bondage. You want to see them be empowered people. That's what Jesus looked at this woman who was flawed and said. The Samaritan woman, press past her ethnicity, press past her gender, press past what people would say, press past five husbands plus one you're living with, and say, God wants to touch you as a person. And then he closes with this amazing moment. It's a lesson about the pathway to unity. He believes that unity really starts with a relationship with God. Here's what he says in verse, verse 25. The woman said to him, and I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. Now, I want you to notice that her tone's changed. She's not defensive anymore. She's not... She's not bothered that he's a Jew anymore because she, she, she's free now. And she mentioned something that Samaritans often talked about, the Messiah coming, and she quoted a favorite verse that Samaritans use is Deuteronomy 18.18 18, about the coming of a Messiah and a prophet and all. And here's what he said. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. What a moment. I'm here, lady. The pathway to your wholeness is you bonding with me. You coming to know me. I'm the water that will spring up into you and will cause you to never thirst again. This was a moment that described her life have six men in your life, relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. relationship. And the last relationship, you're scared to make the final commitment because you've done it five times and didn't work right. She came to that well with a load on her mind. And Jesus looked at her and said, I am here. She had more than water on her mind and so do you. So do you. And I want to tell you, that was a moment of deliverance for her. And this can be one for you. Let's pray a prayer, shall we? (laughs) Father, today we leave this place getting it. We get it. We need. We need your healing touch. We need your hand on us. We got, it. we have issues. Whether we be black, Hispanic, Asian, Puerto Rican, men, women, small, large, educated, uneducated, we all have issues. Heal us today. Help us be transparent and honest before you. Help us tell the truth about where we are. You are here right now to heal hearts, and to restore people who are so ashamed of their past, so disappointed in the way their lives have turned out. But you want to embrace them, and you don't mind that they're different because you designed them. You know them. I pray, God, that when we leave this place today, someone would say, my life is worth living, that I am okay, and that God loves me he knows who I really am and what I can really become so I declare would you lift your hands please in your seats lift your hands heal the hearts of your people bring to them oh God a fresh sense of your purpose and may they not ever be ashamed again of who they are may they never live in the wood of coulda shouldas may they say I'm free and I don't have to be ashamed of my race my history my color whatever it is, and that I will never impose that on anybody else. In the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen.